Welcome to the Rock Off Rugby Podcast with me, Mark Moss. And me, Sam Leamy. Uh, this is the second part of our interview with Bedford Blues scrum half, Grayson Hart. If you want to check out the first episode, which was more to do with CBD and sport and his business as Pure Sport, click the link there and you can listen to that. Part two, we uh, get into Grayson's uh, quite unbelievable career, um, starting in Auckland in New Zealand, heading over to the Sheep Shield in Sydney. Then over to the UK, to Scotland, um, playing for Edinburgh and Glasgow, and then making his way slowly down to London uh, and Bedford in the Champ. Um, I think anyone who's listening, it's a fascinating story. Um, tons of lessons learnt, and um, take a listen. Okay, cool. Um... Yeah, welcome to the Rock Off Rugby podcast for the second time, Grayson Hart. Uh, last time we talked about your CBD business uh, with Pure Sport and how CBD is progressing into the professional sport game. Uh, this time I want to like, touch a little bit on your professional career. Um, so, a bit of a challenge for you. Can you, in 30 seconds, give us a synopsis of your whole career? Ooh, 30 seconds. No, a minute. Fucking hell, I've been, I've, I've been a journeyman, so I don't, I can't yeah, need a we know. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. My whole career, or what? Yeah, whole career in 30 seconds, in three, two, one, go. Okay, so uh, age of 19, made the uh, Auckland provincial team, ITM Cup, or Mighty Team Cup, whatever they call it. Made New Zealand under 20s, Auckland Blues, was a Blues a couple years, uh, went to the Waratahs, uh, Waratahs for a couple of years and Southern District, which was the club side there. Um, fuck, signed for Edinburgh, was there for two years. Went to Glasgow Warriors two years. Played for Scotland a few caps in between. Played Scotland Sevens, few tournaments. Um, signed for Ealing, worst decision rugby-wise of my life. Um, went to Worcester from Ealing. Because um, I quit Ealing partway through, went to Worcester for the end of the season, signed for London Scottish, um, and now Bedford Blues. Excellent, good effort. It's a good Nearly effort. 30. It's good. It's a good effort for a long, very varied career. Um, <laughs> a long career. I just want to. I want to. want to start on on your junior stuff. Um, how did you get into rugby, and how were you as a, as a young lad playing rugby? How did you enjoy that? Yeah, I mean. Um, New Zealand, where I'm from. Um, I, my accent gets mixed up a lot. Well, my wife's from South Africa. I think you're Scottish, you're Scottish. This is what I say, right? <laughs> I, I'm a bloody true blue Scotsman. I think I banged my head one day and woke up in New Zealand, but I, I made my way back to Scotland. So, um, yeah, I'm a hearty Scotsman. Um, but yeah. Grew up in New Zealand. Um, obviously, rugby, like everyone loves rugby. Everyone loves the All Blacks. Um, you know, my first memory of rugby is watching Auckland versus Canterbury with my dad uh, on Sky Sport um, with Andrew Murdens and um, Justin Marshall playing for Auckland. Um, and I remember, because Auckland and Canterbury are like extreme rivals, so I remember my dad was like, oh, who's your favourite player on the game? And I go, oh, I like yeah, that guy, Andrew Murdens and Justin Marshall. And my dad was really gutted because they're for Canterbury. Um, but they went on to be my two favourite players and that was funny because those were the positions that I played throughout my childhood, number nine and ten. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, I just got into rugby because we all loved it there. You'd play it in the backyard, you'd chuck a ball around as a kid. My dad loved playing rugby, he was a really good rugby player um, growing up. My uncle actually, while I was a kid, he coached the All Blacks. Um, so he's head coach of the All Blacks uh, in, from 96 to 99. Um, so obviously that was a massive influence for me. I remember going to family barbecues and like, you know, I was close to, he's my dad's brother and he'd always say, he was a scrum half as well when he played for Auckland and he had a really good rugby career. He, he would always say, oh, you make sure you pass off both hands. Um, so I always practice passing both hands. Um, and then I remember when he would pass the ball to me, he would not pass it very well and I would always be like what the this guy could tell me pass but I think back in the old days they didn't used to spin past that much did they um, the old leaguey the old leaguey yeah, yours yeah the old endo you know, they were like bloody just floaters back in those days <laughs> didn't they but um, 
Yeah, I just love rugby, man. I literally was one of those kids, I'm sure, you know, similar to you guys. I just kicked the ball around, smashed my neighbor's windows, smashed my windows, played <laughs> rugby in the backyard, um, tackling my brother and my little sisters probably made them cry too much. And yeah, it was just one of those, I just loved it, man. Like, and I think as a kid, when you love something, you are clocking like thousands of hours of practice, but without even knowing you're practicing, you know, and um, I think it's probably, yeah, it just paid off because I think I always had a, I was always known as someone that had a quite a good pass. Um, Sam would probably argue that because um, I threw a few around his ankles throughout the season. But yeah. Um, How many said yeah, I mean, I like to test the young guys out, you know, just throw them a few along the ground. But yeah, I just love rugby man, and played it as a kid. Yeah. Also, like just from just from chatting to you a couple of times now, I think uh, you're somebody that likes to play the rugby ball in your hand. Just want to be out there having fun. How how was that? How do you think you were to coach at a young age? I mean, I've, I've come across players like yourself that just want the ball in the hand, want to want to have fun. And I love coaching players like that, but I've seen a lot of coaches struggle with a player that just wants to play and have fun. How how do you think you were to coach as a kid? Um, that's a good question. I don't really remember being coached that much as a kid, which is actually probably a good thing. Like, I don't really have memories of being told what to do. And I think, I don't know what it's like for kids rugby here in the UK, but I think that's a real strength in New Zealand is, like, to just let the kids play, literally. Like, um, And I remember growing up throughout my childhood and playing rugby as I got older into high school, and I would do things, say, as a number 10 or a scrum half, like I'd kick to the corners or I would, chip and chase or chuck a skip past or whatever but I wasn't in my mind thinking why am I doing that I'm doing it it was instinctive and intuitive like you just had a feel for the game and then I remember getting older as I became a professional and getting told why you kick to the corner and why this and look for this fullback if he's there or not and I actually think it started to get in the way of how I would just already do those things instinctively you know um, so I think, yeah, I, I I loved rugby because I was a naughty kid at school. I didn't fit into like the educational system. I hated being told what to do. Um, I was one of those kids that didn't see the relevance of a lot of the things they were trying to teach us, and I had too much energy and ADD and all that. And so when it came to rugby, I was just like loving life. I was just running around with playing, you know. So I felt free. So I think, yeah, like, not remembering being coach is probably a good thing. And I think I probably have different how your, perspectives. How your experiences compare to that, mate? Like, if you, you want to reflect a bit on your junior coaching, how, how does that experience reflect on you? Sam? Was that me? Sorry, you cut yes, out me. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, how does it, like, if you reflect on what Grayson said there, compare it to yours, how, how does that compare? Yeah, I think it's it's quite obvious that the coaching it's very different. I think here in the UK, I think um, there's we're very drill based, and you know, coaches over here lo- love a drill and love you know um, that old school style that is kind of stuck around for for a lot of coaches. And you know, there's there's positives to that, but um, yeah, for, for me personally, you know, everyone everyone plays the game differently, and that's that's one of the reasons why I went over to Sydney, and we'll we'll uh, we'll touch on that later because Grayson played there as well. But that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go over there because they play differently. The the style of play, it's open, it's free, it allows so many more touches on the ball. Um, so that's that's what I love. And as a ten, you know, that's that's a bit a bit dreamy for you. So um, no, def- for sure, definitely different 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 cultures. I think, I think there's been a culture shift over here with the good coaches that they're starting to go towards letting a lot more player-centred, a lot more free play. And for me personally, as a young coach growing up, I think I think the fact is that I, I, I used to be like that drill-based type stuff, but I've headed towards the more game stuff. But I think it's that fear of losing control of your players and letting them have control rather than you as a coach being in control. I think that's where that shift comes. And when you become more comfortable with having less control, a little bit like you were talking about in the last video, Grayson, with uh, with getting people in and letting them express their opinions, I think you get the best out of people that way. Yeah. 
definitely. I, I, I think coaches just need to remember what their role is. It's not about them. Yeah. You know, um, I think sadly, coaches just get carried away with their ego. Not not all of them, but too many, and and they think it's about them and that they're the recipe for the victory. You, like, you're, if you're a coach, you're there to facilitate. It's not about you. And if you fear losing control or you think that your job is to be in control, I think you shouldn't coach. You're, you're doing it wrong. And sadly, it's, the too, it's too much of the case in professional sport. And it's sad to see younger coaches influenced by that. Because I don't think anyone goes into coaching looking to be in control. They go there because they love the game. They love working with people. They love connecting. They love getting the best out of people. They love facilitating. Um, so I think, yeah, like some people need to check their reality, what they're trying to do. It's like, honestly, I think there's some coaches that don't pick the best players because they know that some of those, the best players are going to have more say than they do and be more influential. And that. If a coach is insecure about being controlled, sometimes they don't they don't like those players. If if a coach wants to be in control, they are not gonna like players that are comfortable saying how it is or challenging uh, what the coach says. So yeah, sadly, I mean like for me, like Danny Cipriani is a great example. I think that guy's honestly like I've had, he's a friend of mine, he's a guy who I've had the opportunity to speak with many occasions and I can honestly say like I, I don't see it thinking I'm an amazing rugby player I'm fortunate to have had the career that I have had um, but I've had the opportunity to play alongside some of the most like amazing players in the world throughout some of the clubs that I've been at um, but that guy has got a rugby mind that I've never come across before and the fact that he's not utilised at the highest level shows that people are insecure about having him challenge their control um, and I'll say there, there are quite a few other people who have fallen a, a coach who wants control just likes the yes men and you may have limited um, success but the success that you could have compared to that limited success if you were open or I think could be to another level as a coach well, Tutsha, mate, talk to me about the Blues. Um, obviously, playing alongside some pretty special uh, special players and uh, with the New Zealand under-20 level. How was that progressing and, and when did you first realise, you know, you could, you know, make it a career and, and, and really push and, and get to the next level? Yeah, I, I, man, I still remember, like, obviously, like, playing for Auckland uh, in the Mitre 10 Cup was like a massive, massive thing for me. Like that was my first step, um, my first professional contract game. Um, and man, in that team, like on my debut, like I was playing alongside the likes of Doug Howler, Ali Williams, Joan Kaino, Ethan Athiwa, um, John Arfoa, Daniel Braid, Gary Rekathoko. Like honestly, that was like a prime time. Some less Some less. Um, so I, I was a kid who I didn't come through the traditional pathway of all the rep teams, and I got picked up pretty much from club rugby straight into that team, kind of with skipping the academy. I didn't make the academy, um, and I was just playing club rugby, and I got picked up by Pat Lamb. Honestly, man, I, I, I just felt like an awe being there, and I think it was probably of detriment to me that I felt that way because I wasn't able to express myself to the way I would have liked and, and to the kind of abilities that had allowed me to get picked there. And it's a tough one because I was such a fan. I loved Auckland. I grew up going to the games with my dad, watching every game on TV. I had posters on my wall. And then next thing I know, I'm, I'm out the blue. I'm like making my debut alongside these guys. And I was just like, oh. And I, and I don't think I was a guy, I, don't, I wasn't like a mature 19-year-old. I was pretty, I have some life experiences, but like emotionally and mentally, I don't think I was like a very mature mentally 19-year-old. So 
I didn't know how to like manage my that kind of those challenges. So I, I, my coping strategy, I was like to go into my shell, and I wasn't able to. I don't think express myself and like you know. So that was something that I it was obviously a massive gift for me. And I just remember like I just remember when I first got picked into the blue squad. I got all my gear, all the sick Adidas gear, and I just remember going to my friend's house and be like, bro, look at all my blue gear. Look at this, man. <laughs> and I ended up giving out half of my blues kit to my mates, and I ended up not having enough kit for training. But, um, yeah, it was a massive, like, it was such a buzz for me, but I just wish I could go back and, like, with a... a, 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 a more level understanding of life to be able to capitalize on that opportunity yeah sweet i think um it's always it's always tough especially like you said missing out on the rep and the great and certain grade sides and going straight into the straight into the deep end that's that's always going to be hard did you have um obviously elite, elite sports when they talk about mentors and stuff did you have anyone that sort of looked after you during that period like you know did you warm to anybody or were you, were you so in your shell that it was quite quite difficult to no, like, yeah like don't like there were some amazing dudes like like Kevin Milamu, John Kaino, Easton Athiwa they were guys that really like took me under their wing and mm. were amazing to me um so there were some great guys but also uh I, I wasn't at a point in my life where I was able to like reflect on my own mental state and like kind of learn and evolve. I just wasn't aware enough of like that that's a possibility. Hmm. So whatever I was going on with in my mind at the moment, like I didn't know any other way. And then I also think like, yeah, I, I was so committed to rugby to get to that point. Um, and I always remember I would say to myself I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it as a rugby player and I was training like so hard I'd go to the gym twice a day you know and I was like a dude that wasn't in the academy so I'd just be training on my own playing going to the park running you know all these things and literally in my mind I'd be like when I get my contract my life's going to start finally I can like live life but I when I got the contract, I didn't feel the sense of like peace or like achievement that I thought that I would. So it was really confusing to me because I was like, all my life, all I've wanted to do is be a professional rugby player. And now I'm playing for my childhood team that I've dreamed of. Um, but I don't feel the sense of fulfillment. So I think without that ability to like understand mentally what was going on, I struggled a lot like mentally and I think one of my ways to cope with that was I would like drink and party and all sorts and then that had a detrimental effect and I think what what also went in line with that was you know in New Zealand like our culture loves rugby man and if you're a 19 year old playing for the Blues like at Eden Park and you know you're on Sky Sport every week like you get treated differently by people and and I I didn't know how to deal with that either. And I, I genuinely think I let it get to my head at the time. I, I don't think I thought I was like the man, but because I knew I was still just making my way in rugby. But what I did fall into, I think, was that it was just going to keep getting better, that mm. I was just going to keep on progressing. I think I forgot what had gone into it to get me to that point. Um, I sort of thought once I'm in there, then it's, it unfolds. And I think that was very detrimental. Um, but in saying that, I I don't I would not change any of it for the world because now I have I have learned so much about like life and myself through those experiences. Um, don't get me wrong, I would have loved to like, you know, if I was able to be in a clear understanding of how to navigate these challenges and things. I would love to have seen where my career could have gone in New Zealand, um, but the value of what I've learned in life is so much more than that. I think I think it's a really, really important message, especially for 
um, younger players. Like on a on a personal note, like same sort of same time around that nineteen twenty, I when I moved to Hartbury, um, I missed the whole of that year, and I basically yeah took it on myself to like you said do it. You, you do you do anything possible to get back fit, get get in the squad or whatever. And I I literally broke my body, you know, and I had so few complications. I think it's really important for younger players, although it's it's good to have the motivation to reach for the stars and absolutely that's that's important but at the same time being present and enjoying the journey is just as important because you know you only have one shot at it and and you know you've got to enjoy enjoy the journey absolutely absolutely and that's why i say to you sammy boy when i see you out there kicking a thousand goals and mate little often little often if you're out there loving it do as much as you want to do but when it when it becomes a grind as a means to an end because you think you've got to do it to feel good about yourself, yeah, I think your training is going to become detrimental. So that that know? was that was the issue for me, and and I think past year at Bedford and last couple of years, that's changed my mindset completely because I used to kick until like my groins were just shattered. Like and yeah, Mark knows because I did it. At school. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah. It was it was just it was just madness, and I had this thing where I had to, I had to get a certain amount, or I had to feel a certain way at the end of the session for me to stop and yeah. do a certain before a game. And I've learned just to take what I've done and 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 draw on those positive experiences. Um, but I think that's a really important message to, to sort of get across. It takes, it takes us back to what I said at the start. When you're a little kid, like I'm talking five, six, seven, eight, nine, before your mind starts to develop the idea of like an attachment to an outcome or where you want to go with it. When you're that, when you're that little kid, you are training relentlessly. It's just not in your mind. It's not known as training because you're just playing. You're kicking the ball around. You're, you're running. You're passing a thousand balls. You're kicking hundreds of balls. But it's not the grind. And you can still have that level of like um, output without it being a grind. It's the mental part which says, I need to do this to achieve this in order to be okay. That's where it goes wrong. Um, And that's the biggest learning of my life is I attach so much to the outcome of what rugby meant to my identity and happiness and I should have seen the signs when I first made it and it didn't provide me of course I was proud and excited but it didn't provide me what I thought it would in terms of fulfillment I should have started questioning it then then I would have stopped the grind and the coping and the distractions with alcohol and things like that as to why I wasn't feeling good and I would have been more present and enjoyed the process but I didn't enjoy the process because I was insecure about where I had to get with it. Mm. So it's a, it's a massive lesson. And I, you know, I hope that, you know, things like people like these podcasts and like everyone, people out there being willing to speak more and learn from others, it starts to be something that young people recognize, whether not even just in sport, just in life, man. Like, because the same misunderstanding that we fall into, Sammy, with sport, other studies um they can fall into it with their finances with their looks with bloody finding the right boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever like it's a human misunderstanding ours just took place in sport you know it's it's what it happens to everyone so i think the more we can understand that it's about like just being open to and being present and being okay with what you're doing and throwing yourself all into what's at hand without the attachment to thinking that it's going to make you feel better. I think that's what the biggest shift is. For sure. And I think, um, I think with social media and, and, and people getting more involved in showing what they're doing and being more open to, to ideas and stuff, I think that's definitely a shift. But we'll move on to uh, your move over to Sydney. I think um, leaving, leaving the blues, um, how how was that that for you? Um, was that a decision that was take, taken quite quite lightly? And um, how was your time in the Shoot Shield and with the Waratahs? Yeah, no, it was um, so for me the time leaving the Blues was like the, probably the toughest time of my life. Um, so I was 
what was I, 22 or three or something? I can't remember exactly now. Yeah. Like I'd been in Auckland rugby for four years by that point with Auckland, like played quite a lot of games for Auckland, played some games for the Blues. Um, but like I said, you know, I I never fulfilled my potential as, you know, I went in there with, as a 19-year-old. I had won the under-20 World Cup and I think I'm still to this day the youngest scrum half to ever debut for the Blues. Um, so I I had a lot of big raps on me and I don't I never fulfilled my potential there because I was like we just referred to all that and you know distracting myself with alcohol forgot what it meant to train properly and that what it got me there. Um, and then my, my father passed away actually when I was 21 and then that led me down an even darker spiral in terms of like coping and drinking. And my dad was my number one support. He came to every single game, mm. every training. He used to write little notes for me on what like little plays I should try and stuff like that. And I still got little notes that my dad wrote around like, oh, you should try the Carlos Spencer chip kick and like, oh, you know, shit like that. <laughs> um, me and my dad, like, like I could have played with zero people in Eden Park and then knew my dad was watching, you know? And so when my dad died, that was a massive, like, hit for me with rugby because I was like, oh, I don't know if I, this is what I, I don't know if I care that much anymore. Anyway, I kind of stopped caring. And in my last year uh, under contract, uh, sorry, I had two years on my contract, but in the second last year, I was drinking, I was fucking going out the night before trainings and, all this and you know I just lost that passion through my own struggles and it came to the end of that year and the Blues were like well yeah we're not going to keep you for your next year of your contract and then that was a real like shit eye-opener for me you know I was 23 or something and I was just released um, so it was the first time in my adult life that I didn't have a team to go to you know, I didn't have a schedule that I knew. I didn't have know what date I was rocking up for preseason. You know, all this. So I was like, holy heck! Like, didn't know what to do. I felt like bloody lost. So, um, but it ended up being probably the biggest blessing in disguise in my life because it, it led me on a journey of kind of like understanding myself more and what got me to that point of kind of that, I guess, destructiveness and 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 that lack of understanding of myself um and so yeah like that was a really tough time for me um but then the opportunity to go to sydney came up through a joint uh contract with southern districts and the waratahs um and so that was an amazing opportunity so i wasn't contracted it, it happened really late um waratahs already signed all their guys and um but they said they were really interested in me um and they got me over on a training contract with them and then I played full-time with Southern Districts in the Shoot Shield um, and the contract wasn't a lot of money um, and part of my time I actually was playing for Southern Districts and I was working uh, as an assistant to the groundsman so I went from bloody training every day you know alongside like the Blues and all these All Blacks that I looked up to in my cool Adidas kit you know I bought myself a a nice Audi with my contract. I was bloody buying drinks at the bar in Auckland and all this. And next thing I know, I'm fucking mowing lawns in Southern District, <laughs> cleaning out the changing room. And I'm like, <laughs> um, but honestly, man, it was the, the it was something that I it was a real blessing for me because one through Southern Districts, I went back to playing rugby the way I wanted to play and, and I knew I could play. I was I was free. I wasn't playing rugby insecurely to try and prove myself. I was just playing. Um, and and it also, I also said, I was like, okay, if I go through this year and I ever get an opportunity to be full-time, fully contracted with another rugby team, I'm going to just appreciate it so much, man. Like, I'm going to enjoy the process. And then that was a case. I ended up, you know, playing pretty well for Southern Districts, and um, I got a full-time contract with the Waratahs for that next season. And I just remember, like, through that experience, I never forgot what it was like to mow those lawns, and 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 like, like, there's nothing wrong with doing that job, but it really allowed me to appreciate how good it was to train fully, have all your supplements provided, have a great environment, be around your teammates all day. 
um, you know, get the most out of your rugby. I, 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 I generally just enjoyed the process after that. It's a cliche, um, isn't it? But, but you only, you only uh, miss something when it's gone, you know, you only appreciate it. And I suppose get, going to the, the hearty uh, Tuesday, Thursday nights training, you know, with the club, it sort of yeah. dialed you back in, which I suppose it would, was yeah. really important. Yeah. yeah. And it also just makes you remember what rugby is all about. Like why you, why you played it, why you were that kid who loved it, mm. you know, and that doesn't have to leave you just because it seems more serious or there's money involved or there's fans watching, you know. Awesome. And I suppose the next step was into the next professional environment was, was heading to Scotland. And like you said, you know, you'd grasp it and appreciate it much more. How, how did that move go? Um, and and what, why, why Scotland? Yeah, so I ended up doing, I think it was two and a half years at the Waratahs and I didn't actually end up getting a lot of game time there. Um, and... I, uh, towards the end of my first full season, um, which was the one I said I just got the full contract, I played some games and I played pretty well and I had a good um, kind of partnership with Bernard Foley and then they signed me for another year and I was looking like real good and then the, in the pre-season the coach got fired and then they brought uh, Michael Checker in and um, fuck, that guy just hated me for some reason so he just never gave me a chance. He's an angry man, hasn't <laughs> he? He's an angry man. He's a real angry guy. But like he, he can be like, he's almost bipolar. He can be the most lovely guy at one point and then he's an absolute like psycho. But, um, you know, <laughs> he wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, but I, I do remember one time he said to me, he was like, oh yeah, you're not playing round one. And I was like, oh shit. Because I kind of went into the season like, he had marked as like, I'll be the starting scrummer. And then he came in and his new coach, he's like, oh, you're not playing round one. And, and you're not on the bench I was like oh shit he's like but don't worry um, within the first five rounds um, you'll, you'll start you'll have a game and then you'll be able to show me what you can do and I was like oh sweet that's all good got to round six and he didn't pick me and I, and I remember I went to him and I was like oh man remember how he told me I'll be getting the game in the first five rounds and, and he fucking lost the plot at me he was like you fucking called me a liar you fucking called me a liar and I was like well I'm not like accusing you of lying, but I'm just saying you said this to me and it's not happened. So I, it's up to you what you want to call it. And um, he didn't like the fact that I kind of like questioned him on it. And then after that, yeah, just no love for the rest of the season. But um, that then I, I'd actually, Scotland came about because my grandma uh, was born in Scotland. So it actually allowed me to be Scottish qualified. And, Ever since I uh, played at the Blues, um, the SIU do this thing where they reach out to like agents and find out if any um, Southern Hemisphere young pros have Scottish eligibility through like a grandparent or parent. And they'd reach out to my agent all the way back when I was at the Blues. And they'd actually offered me contracts for like two years in a row to sign there. And I was at Glasgow at the time when Gregor Townsend was the coach. Um, and I just felt it was too soon for me to go. Um, I really, really was wanting to like chase my dream in New Zealand. Um, then uh, we, once that kind of season had panned out in Australia with the Waratahs, I was like, nah, sweet, I'm ready to go now. I've given the Super Rugby a good crack. Haven't quite got to where I'd like to be. Um, and so, yeah, my agent hit them up and they were keen, but it was Glasgow were fully signed up with nine at that time, but they were like, Edinburgh was keen to have you, so they signed me. And yeah, went over there and um, that was a whole new experience of rugby. Um, very, very, very regimented game plan at Edinburgh. Alan Solomons was the coach. Um, I went from doing, I reckon, two box kicks a game max, which were probably like just off-the-cuff box kicks in New Zealand and Australia, to genuinely I'd be doing, there would be games where I'd be doing like 18 box kicks a game. And everyone had to be like on the money. Um and it was a bit bloody cold and wet and windy as well, so that that didn't help my box kicking expertise. And it wasn't, yeah. So, but yeah, it, it was an amazing chance to play and to learn and live in a new environment, learn a different understanding of rugby. Um, but yeah, I, I had a good time at Edinburgh. It's just a different learning experience for my rugby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, final final sort of topic, Grace. I think um. 
anyone being put in front of them, international um, caps, international opportunity, would, would jump at the chance. Um, after a few good performances in the in the, in the Pro 12, um, you managed to get a few caps. Talk to me, you know, was that was that a, an ambition of yours? And 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 we, we talk about enjoying the process. Was that just yeah, putting good performance in, and then and then a bit of a reward at the end, I suppose. Yeah, um, I, I, how you say it? I I think like um, I I was just at a different point in my life with my under like viewpoint of rugby and and like. I was training harder than ever, but you know I was I was enjoying it, um, and and as well you know like the training side of things in the UK was a, another step up for me in terms of like the gym and all of that, and um, and I and I, I remember like doing a lot more weights and getting a lot stronger and faster and stuff than I had been before, um, and I think in Scotland like they really liked. At that point, anyway, I'm not quite sure what it's like now, but like there was a lot of like interest in your statistics and stuff, and I was I was up to like 100 kgs, um, Jeez. Uh, body weight. Um, I was something like 35 skin folds. I was bloody running like one six flat 10 meters, and so my stats were amazing. I wasn't able to like utilize much of that on the field the way Edinburgh was playing. So I was like box pick kicking, but to be fair, I was maybe doing quite a few pick and goes around the rock. But, um, <laughs> um, I mean, for the way we were playing, like I think I was playing pretty well. And um, I think that SIU liked the idea of like this big scrum half who was a bit different, who was physical. I think my defensive game was like really, really strong at that point, being big and strong and you know, pretty keen on tackling and stuff with that kind of, uh, kind of, you got to have the right mentality. And I was Party. really, point, yeah, really point. And um, so I think they quite liked that. And yeah, they, they, they gave me an opportunity on the um, autumn tour. It was to South Africa, Argentina, Canada, USA. Um, so man, it was I was like so over the moon to get picked up for that tour. I wasn't really expecting it, um, and I think it was just they they wanted to see how I could kind of front at that level. Um, now it's another one like I I don't think I played that well on that tour. Like I did some more stuff, but like um, I went from playing Pro Twelve games in the pissing rain at like Newport Gwent Dragons at Murrayfield, um, uh, like literally pick and goes box kits to, I played Canada in the 30 degree heat. I played Argentina in 35 degree heat. I played South Africa in like 25 degree heat on firm dry tracks. I was hundred kgs. I was not used to shifting that my weight around at a at a high tempo game i was not really the way the the shape and form that i was in suited pro 12 rugby and the way edinburgh was playing it didn't suit a very high tempo international game so yeah i i don't think i was really in the peak shape to be playing at that and unfortunately i was too muscly and too heavy um, to play at that high tempo but man it was an absolute honour to play for Scotland I then ended up realising like fuck man I do not need to be this heavy so I I cut back on um, all the gym as much gym I went back down to about 92 kgs um, and I felt a lot better and I ended up playing some decent rugby throughout the rest of my time in Scotland um, I was I was featured in the Scotland squad like numerous times after that, like in Six Nations. I was in two Six Nations squads. I think. played twenty fifth, twenty fourth man. I, I did a bloody lot of warm ups in front of Six Nations crowds. Um, got a got a few little twenty fourth man match fees, which were a lovely bonus. Stayed in some nice hotels. But yeah, that was pretty tough. Like being so close because I knew that I wanted to prove more that I could do it at that level and, and be in a shape that I could be able to face that tempo and, and kind of be, 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 
be able to like really put my best foot forward. Um, but I never quite got that opportunity again. But yeah, I, I, it's something that I'm really proud of that I made it to that level. Um, and thanks, really grateful for the opportunity. And um, yeah, and and like I to come back to you, Sam. When as soon as I moved to Scotland to play for Edinburgh. I knew I was eligible and I was like, I'm going to go all out to play for Scotland. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty, really, really grateful that I was able to do that. Yeah. And then to, to add even more uh, variation to the story, you know, there's, there's a bit of sevens in there as well, mate. Like, yeah. what's that about? Obviously dropped the weight, which uh, obviously made it a yeah. little bit, bit easier for you to get around the park. But how, how did that come about? Yeah, so, I mean, my last year at Glasgow my first year I played every single game I played like 30 games we got to the semi-finals um we had a good season I, I did really well my second year um I probably played half the game I probably played about like 15 games um and Ali Price had just come through and he was like an unbelievable form um he had been there for like as a young guy for a few years but he just really had a breakthrough year and he was playing amazingly um and who else would we have? I can't remember who. Uh, but, oh, Henry Pergos, who was like a, a number nine for Glasgow for years. So those guys are both playing really well. And I, I, I only sort of managed to play half the games. And then I, my wife, Chelsea, um, I convinced her to move to Glasgow from London. She works as a model. Her agency's in London. So I did say to her, I promised her if she moved to Glasgow, I said, when my contract's are on, I'll do my best to find a team in London. So in my mind, I was like, yeah, now I'm coming from Glasgow, I'm going to pick up like, you know, Saracens or like in London, you know, like one of these top clubs and things. But none of these clubs were interested. They didn't want to know me. I was like, fuck that. My agent, <laughs> my, my agent then goes, um, oh, there's a club, Ealing. They're, they're like one of the top. And I didn't know anything about the championship. Like, I feel bad now after being three years in the championship. But like, I didn't really know much about the championship. Um, and and then so he was like, you know, yeah, but they're offering you actually like pretty good money for championship. Um, it was a bit of a pay cut coming from Glasgow, but I was, I'd made my wife that promise to get back to London. And I was like, well, we'll be back in London. You know, she'll be picking up the slack with the on the payday, so it's all good. <laughs> um, and so I signed with um, Ealing. They promised they were like. They told me all these things like, oh, you know, you're going to be our key player. We're going to build the team around you. Um, you know, yeah, like your experience and, and everything. Like we, we, and we, we want to get promoted to the premiership next season, you know. Um, and I was like, oh, this will be sick because I kind of had seen Exeter Chiefs, right? And I was like, man, they got promoted to the premiership, right? And they, kept, they maintained so much of their squad. Imagine how cool that would be to, like, win the championship and then go to the premiership and, like, be the squad that got the club up. So I saw that as, like, this amazing opportunity. And I was like, that's going to be sick. Like, I really want to do that. Um, and, you know, I got there. And we had this meeting in preseason. And the coach was, like, Alex Codling. And then they're like, oh, so what's our goal this year? What do you guys think our goal should be? And then, like, me and a few other players, especially, like, the new signings, we were like, oh, um, we think the goal 100% should be to win the championship. Like, because that's kind of what we'd been told. And then he was like, well, I think we've got to be realistic, you know? Bristol's a different entity. We're not going to beat Bristol. They're, they're, you know, they've got players on 700 grand. We're not going to beat Bristol. So I think our goal should be to finish second in the championship. And, and I was sitting there, I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, these dudes signed me telling me we're trying to get promoted to the premiership next season, and I was excited. And now I'm sitting here on day one, and they're telling me their goal is to finish second. I was like, I understand, like, he's saying Bristol's a different entity, but in my mind, when you go out on a rugby field, like, your goal should be to beat every team that you come up against on the day, whether it's realistic or not. Like, you go out there to try and win. Um, so that did not get off to a good start, man. And um, yeah, yeah I, I just didn't like the way they treated players. I didn't like the way that they had kind of deceived me in that regard. Um, so it was just off to a bad start from the get-go. I think I played about 18 games or so, and then it got... It's the first time in my life where I 
got to the point where I was like, I don't like being here. I don't enjoy it. I'm, I'm not going to be here. I don't want to be here. Um, and I, and I requested to leave, um, which was quite a liberating feeling because I think in rugby and all that, we're always taught like, you know, you, you got to see it out or you got to see through the tough times. And I, and actually I came to see throughout my career, they play those cards with players, the clubs do. And if a player leaves or a player deceives the team and signs a contract elsewhere or something, they go to the media and they make that player look like a bad guy. But the amount of times clubs shit on players and the player doesn't go to the media, because then if the player goes to the media as an individual, they're going to look like a crybaby or, or like a sore loser or whatever. Um, so the players just keep quiet all the time if the players get stuffed over. Um, so and, and I saw firsthand my friends and teammates at that club getting a bad goal thing. So I... Yeah, I just was like, well, I don't want to be here. So I left. And um, and don't get me wrong, like, I'm not I'm not against the club. I, it just wasn't for me. And for some players, it's an amazing place to play and amazing opportunity. I'm just saying, personally, I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. Um, so I don't want to, like, sound as I'm bagging the club in general. Uh, I just think some people fit well in, certain, in some places and others don't. And it wasn't for me. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I've seen I've seen friends and teammates that have gone and made like really well at Eden and done really well and kicked on to like higher honours and stuff like that. So yeah, don't want to come across as though I'm bagging the place. Just wasn't for me. <laughs> no, for sure. Fair enough. Sure. So it's uh, not everywhere's for everyone. Um, I think Sam's found that out in his in his career, whether that's been junior rugby or whatever, that he's enjoyed some environments more than others. I'm the same with where I was playing. Um, when I'm coaching, it's just find that right environment for you. Um, but yeah, I think it takes a lot of balls to come out and say to a club, yeah, I, I don't want to be here. I, I want to move on. And I think that's something that players don't realise. And I've spoke to people within football, within, uh, within rugby that have said the same thing that, these clubs are going to basically tell you if, if you want to leave and it's not down the club, they'll just badmouth you to, to other clubs. Like, look at the doctors yeah. to say that you're injury prone, obviously, with your knee as well. That had to be a little bit in your mind that go, uh, the doctor might just turn around and go, Yeah, he's knackered, or a physio might say he's knackered, don't bother signing him. But I think it takes balls. But at the end of the day, you've got, you've got to do what's right for yourself. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, and I think. One thing I've learned throughout my career in life is like, you just, you got to put your own freedom and happiness first and trust that if you do that, things can fall into place. Because I think it's easy to stay stuck in a situation because you know the pay is going to come through each month or you, you're unsure about the unknown. You don't like, we humans are afraid of the unknown. So that was the first time where I was like, in, from my own call was like I'm stepping out into the unknown here um, and I at that point genuinely was like I think I'm just going to retire from rugby um, and I didn't really know what I was going to do or how I was going to make money um, but I knew that if I stepped out I would find a way you know um, and then I stepped out but, and then I think it was about six weeks into my retirement and um, uh, Alan Solomons called me up from Worcester and, and asked do I want to come along and um, I ended up going there for the last few months of the season which was cool um, and then that that kind of like reinvigorated like I, I really enjoyed the environment there I loved the training and um, it allowed me to see it's not it wasn't rugby that was the problem it was the environment I was in just wasn't right for me um, so I'm thankful for that opportunity and that and that opened me up and then from there I just kind of um the same when I got to the end of that, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to play rugby. And then London Scottish came along and were like, look, we know you're really interested in things outside of rugby. And that was when I'd started on pure sport as well. And they're like, we're, here's a chance. We're really keen for you to play for us. Um, but we're so flexible with our hours that you're able to do what you want. And we're keen to support you outside of that. Um, and they were really good with me. Like, I agreed a contract that said, you know, if I need a day off because of this business, or I've got this specific meeting as long as I give you this much notice or whatever. 
they were like really, really um, supportive of that. So from then, after that kind of Ely and Worcester experience, I went to in a new viewpoint of rugby. It was a time for me to like play rugby at the best level I could and enjoy it and try to contribute and be the best I could be, but also build something alongside my rugby. Um, but anyway, I, I, I'm sorry, Sam, I went off on a tangent. I just remembered it was the seventh. So anyway, the reason I... That was a while ago. The reason I went to the sevens is because I'd signed with Elon. And then, and, then, um, and then Glasgow Warriors were like, okay, well, we're not going to play you because you're signed elsewhere. Um, and we don't really need you because Ali and Henry are doing really well. And I was like, sweet. Um, it's all good if I go train with the sevens. Because I just wanted to have fun and, and play. And I didn't even think I was going to play. I just wanted to go train and run around. Because they just play sevens for training most of the time. Um, so, yeah, I went and then I did it. And I just loved it, man. And, like, especially for a scrum half, like, usually in 15s, it's very restricted, you know. Like, you've got very limited space and you've got to play to the game plan the whole time. And then here I was training, running around, like, I was just loving running with the ball in space and passing and stepping. And, and then I ended up playing, I think, like quite a few tournaments that season. Uh, it was So I joined them kind of like towards the third, back third end of the series, World Series. I ended up playing the rest of the tournaments. I absolutely loved it, man. Um, we ended up winning a couple medals. We won the bronze, I think, in Paris. And then the week after, we won the gold medal at Twickenham which was unreal, it would be England uh, in the final. And so it was an amazing experience. And then partway through that, actually about a couple of weeks into my sevens thing, the coach was like, um, oh, we're, we're keen to offer you a contract for the sevens for next year. Um, and I was like, oh, flip, man, I've already signed for Ealing. And, and um, so... But it was it was meant to be because we've had an amazing journey through London and you know it's been great for my wife and um but I I was like damn because I really loved the sevens I loved playing I loved the like tight knit group I loved the community around the World Series and and that and just it was tough work but I just loved running around man like with the ball and not having like a such a rigid game plan that suited me as a person more so yeah I mean that was kind of an interesting time but that, looking back when I was at Ealing be like oh man fuck I could have been on the playing in Las Vegas right now I think but um, you know it's, it's one of those things that that's how life goes but yeah I'll, I'll always be very very fond of my sevens memories and yeah how enjoyable it was that's awesome. Everything happens for a reason and, uh, you know, pure spots on, on the up, isn't it? And uh, it allowed you to, yeah. to crack on with that. And, and um, it's awesome, mate. Mark, do you have any, anything, anything else? I think... Uh, I do. I've got, yeah. I've got quite... I think you're quite reflective, Grayson. So I think this is going to be quite an interesting question. Um, so obviously, as an outsider looking in, um, your career has just been fucking ridiculously good. But... Do you yourself think you've had a successful career? And what would be the one thing that you would change about your playing career, if you could? Um, do you know, honestly, like... I, I've, I've played rugby with dudes. Like, I love rugby, right? So I'm that guy who, like, secretly in the off-season when, like, Glasgow Warriors didn't know or Bedford didn't know, I'll go play, like, amateur sevens or tens tournaments with my friends that you're probably not really meant to do, but I just love rugby, so I'd go do it anyway. Um, and, like, I, I've played with and against guys in these amateur things that I'm like, fuck, these guys are way better rugby players than me, <laughs> you know? Um, so, for me, it's also, like, it's a matter of right place, right time. Like, if I didn't just get spotted by Pat Lamb at one time, I don't know if I ever would have become a professional rugby player. And and although I didn't really capitalise fully on my opportunity, I guess once I had been in the New Zealand under-20s and been in the Blues, it gave me that kind of CV to have other opportunities. Um, I, like, there's guys I played with in the championship who I 
I, I could swear better players than guys who play international rugby, but it's just a matter of what your pathway and opportunity is. Um, and that's just me. I may be wrong. I'm not the expert. Uh, it's just my opinion. So I, I think for me, I've never, ever really been a dude who was a soul-focused rugby guy just lived and breathed his rugby career. Um, I've always been interested in things outside of rugby and, and I've always kind of, uh, I've always gone in and out of rugby. I'll, I'll go like all out or I'll be kind of like chilled with it. So I definitely think there was more potential for me, for my career. And if I had been in the right mindset to push on in New Zealand, I would have been, interested to see where that could go but I, I I honestly yeah for the type of guy that I am I think I'm really grateful to have been able to even have a 14-year rugby career and get paid to play a game that I love and train alongside guys that you know I enjoy being around and learn about life really like hugely like I, I think professional sport is like it's a, it's a magnified version of like life lessons. <laughs> you got to deal with like these trials and tribulations and different people and um, that. But as well, coming going into business, I've also seen like rugby's a fucking easy job, man. Like in terms of, it's simple. You you go, you train, you learn the plays, and you play rugby, and it's pretty black and white. Other aspects and other careers, fuck, there's always new challenges and new stumbling blocks and new things. It's not... I think what I mean by that is rugby is you've got a schedule. You know your schedule. You do it. You do the bits outside of it that are going to help you. Um, whereas I'm finding, like, the entrepreneurial side of business life is it's pretty tough, man. Like, it's not easy. So I'm thankful. I'm just really thankful for what it has been really awesome uh, and then probably just a final question from me that you obviously love rugby and you've got one year left on your bedford blues contract and, and you, you said that's it that's that's you done with playing how are you going to cope what what are you going to what are you going to do to keep rugby in your life um oh commentary you know, you commentary, commentate on a, on a few hearty oh, Trump games. <laughs> I, 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 we know the Edinburgh, they, they, the Pro 14, they bring in a guest player to commentate. And I did it once for an Edinburgh game and I never got asked back because I was like, because <laughs> <laughs> I was like mocking my teammates and stuff during the commentary. So, um, in a playful way, but um, yeah. the players enjoyed it, but. A lot of the fans enjoyed it, but I think it wasn't their cup of tea. But um, I don't know. I don't think I'm an eloquent enough speaker. If they want a pretty humble-sounding commentator, <laughs> they'll be like, oh, that's a good kick by Sam Lee. <laughs> um, they could sign me up. But no, I don't know. I, I actually really don't know. I mean, I, I, I never thought of myself as going into coaching because I don't like co- – I don't really like how rugby's coached. Um, but maybe that's a sign that maybe I, I could coach because I might want to do it differently from my experiences. Um, I don't know. I'll probably just watch the rugby on TV. I'll kick a ball around in the park maybe. Hopefully I'll have kids one day that love rugby and will play in the park and um, I'll take them to rugby. Um, I love like playing touch rugby. I love like tag tag rugby you know like with the rippers and that like so I think I'll be as long as I can I'll be playing stuff like that because I just really love it but um I honestly don't know man I don't I've never seen myself as a guy that was going to go into any specific sort of role with rugby afterwards uh, but who knows you never know you never know good stuff Grace it's been awesome to chat for you last three short questions they're sort of quick fire ones so we're going to put you on the on the spot a little bit. Um, first one is, uh, can you give a book or a film or a series movie recommendation to the listeners to maybe be inspired? It can be sporting or non-sporting that you've been into uh, recently? Oh, a book, a book. 
Um, what theory? I, I, re I really love this book called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma. Um, that's unreal. And The Surrender Experiment by... Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The Path of No Resistance by Garrett Kramer. Uh, unreal book in terms of like he, he works with NHL players and NFL around like the mental understanding. Read read Garrett Kramer, look Garrett Kramer. Alan Watts, check out Alan Watts on YouTube for his philosophies on life. Bro, that guy will blow your mind. So that's my three. Awesome. Mark, what's the next question? That you forgot or uh nah, just just oh, sorry, no. uh, yeah it's fine. Um yeah so What's the best bit of advice you've been given through your career with or personal life? What what's that gonna be? Um best bit of advice. I mean when I was a kid, right, when I started to get to the age in rugby where you judge yourself. Because before that I, I don't really you know, you might spill the ball or do something wrong, but you don't even know it's a mistake, you just keep playing. I remember getting to the age where I was like started to judge myself for my performances and I'll get into the car with my dad every game and my dad would be like, oh, you done good, son. You did well today. And in my mind, I'd be like, no, I fucking did shit. Like, you know, why are you saying I did good? But I wouldn't say that to my dad. But, but do you know what? Like one of the biggest things I learned from that was my dad saw through the eyes of love. He saw his son playing a game freely and enjoying it. He, he My filter, which was saying, was judging what I was doing as right or wrong, wasn't true. The overall filter of what happens is exactly as it should happen. Doesn't mean you can't learn from it or grow from it, but the part where you judge yourself and beat yourself up for something that's happened is incorrect. So, so the fact is that the acceptance and understand that all that is is exactly as it's meant to be. And I learned that from my dad. Because after a while, I I reflected on it as I got older. I'm like, dad was an honest guy. Like, he wasn't bullshitting me when he said you did good, son. He was just seeing it through a clearer filter than I was. Um, because one of the biggest detriments in my career was judging myself, holding on to mistakes, beating myself up. Whereas if you, if you know that all, all that happens is exactly as it's meant to happen, you learn from it, you move forward then I, I, that's the biggest lesson. And you can take that lesson in every walk of life. Definitely. And then last one, Grace, uh, what's next for you? What's next for the, the next uh, couple of years down the line? Um, well, waiting to see if, I'm gonna, if we're going to have another championship season with the Bedford Blues. And then hopefully I'll come up against you, uh, Sam, yeah. uh, for the mighty Jersey Reds. And um, sure there'll be a few uh, rooks uh, Head holds and things. <laughs> I might have to flick those ears at the bottom of a right. <laughs> you can't. Got a fucking big target there, Grayson. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure uh, we might get Mark over to a game and he'll I'll hear some of his songs from the crowd. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just if this, like, if I go here this season, just really enjoy it, give my best for this club and finish off. You know, knowing that I've given my best and um, just continue building pure sport and building on the opportunity that we've got there to kind of grow something really, really good and um, just enjoy life with my wife and my dogs and see what evolves, really. And just, yeah, that's about it. Who knows, man? Who knows? Great, it's been absolute pleasure, mate. I've really, really enjoyed this chat. I think it's been massively insightful both across both podcasts, across the one about your business and then about your, more of your personal and professional life. I think it's been brilliant. Um, if people want to find out a bit more about your follow you, follow your career, follow your, your business, where can they find all that stuff? Yeah, man. Um, I mean, Instagram's always popular. So my Instagram is uh, Grace and John Hart. So the J O N um, without an H. Um, what is it? Pure Sport. My business is at Pure Sport CBD. Um, so yeah, you can check us out there and I'm always open if anyone wants to drop me a message or whatever, always happy to chat. So yeah, no, thank you guys so much for having us. And it's cool that, you know, you guys are doing this and it's just nice to have a platform that for players to be able to be themselves, you know, and, um, 
I hope that that's something that perhaps, you know, I've not been the greatest uh, player that people can learn from in terms of like my training and all of that. But like, I hope if there's one thing I can pass on to my like fellow rugby players, it's like, just be comfortable being yourself. You know, you don't have to fit into a mold because for too long I tried to and it just leaves you unhappy. So just be yourself and be comfortable with it. And I think in the end, it's the best thing you can do. Awesome. Thank you very much. Sweet. Thank you, guys. Cheers. No, Grace. No, like that, that was me. I, I thought that was awesome. I loved having that chat. Um, mm. Proper, insightful, deep. And just a proper conversation as well. That was great. Really, really no, thanks for your time, Grace. Really appreciate it, mate. Really appreciate it's a, it. It's a pleasure, and uh, yeah, not happy to. Um, but yeah, love what you guys are doing, and um, yeah, all good. Thanks for having me.